Hello and welcome. This is Marnie Swedberg. I am excited to be here with you this afternoon for our Over Your Head <laughs> program. For times when you feel like you are in the deep end of the pool, you're in way over your head and you're like, what am I supposed to do here? It's usually such a stressful time. And the point of this program today is to help you to know how to think about it, how, what to do with those thoughts and that kind of a season. So before we get going, I just want to welcome a bunch of you. We have guests today from all over the world. Thank you for joining us. I want to welcome a bunch of you who are already here. And to those of you who are just joining, welcome to you too. Welcome to Jennifer and Gwyn and Maureen Elizabeth. Welcome to you and Renee and Lene, Paula, Gail, Diane, Tanya, Bethany. Hi, Nicole. Welcome. Kim, Penelope, Natalie, welcome to you, Yvonne, Jennifer, Susan, Evelyn, Sheila, Maureen, uh, welcome Sandy and Leah, Paula, Cheryl, Penny, welcome, welcome, Sheila, uh, Vanessa, and uh, Jennifer, welcome to you guys. We're going to just go ahead and dive right in now with our program over my head. So first of all, I'm just going to take you through a little bit of what we're going to be doing. And then we will go from there uh, through the presentation today. And again, welcome to you. During the next hour, we are going to cover how to uh, stop emotionally thrashing around. So if the picture is the deep end of a pool, what happens if, if you get thrown into a deep end and you don't know how to swim, you just start thrashing around. And so the first key is to stop emotionally thrashing. And then God can, God can come in and assist you just like a lifeguard can come and assist you when you stop thrashing and actually in this situation, pushing him away. So you will learn to understand how stress affects you and why God created and allows it. We will gain some insight into the automatic responses of a drowning person. And when we're emotionally drowning, how these auto responses that God built into us actually can help us instead of hurt us. We can learn how to establish a godly focal point, the seven ways God answers prayer, how to align ourselves with God's goals, the six antidepressant questions God provides for our peace and joy during stretching seasons, um, how God defines success and why it's so far superior, easier, and better than Webster's definition. We'll discover the perspective transforming insights that will change how you deal with stress, fear, and confusion from this day forward, and how to partner with God for this season, project or idea, or even prognosis, whatever it is that has you feeling like you're in the deep end of a pool, that is what we are here to talk about today. At the very end, I'm going to share with you a, a document that I love so much. It's called the Perspective Transformation Worksheet, and we'll go over that together at the end of the program. So if you can't, stay to the end and you have to leave. Or if you're listening to the archive, you can go to marnie.com forward slash OMH, which stands for Over My Head, and you will be able to find everything there. <laughs> So basically, we can't learn how to swim until we stop thrashing about. If you envision yourself in a pool as a child with an instructor, they are going to have you lay on your back and you're going to feel like you're going under, going under, going under. But their arm is underneath you. Maybe you have some, you know, uh, weights or, or some um, floaters out to the side of you that are helping you to stay above ground. And what this does is it allows you to rest and so you can float and then you can start to begin to learn how to swim. So as we're talking about being thrown into the deep end of the pool, I want you to just kind of surface some of the feelings that you have. Like right now, when you're thinking about being thrown into the deep end of the pool, uh, what are you thinking about? Like what, um, what is it that you're feeling? Are you feeling traumatized? Are you feeling fear? Right now, just pause for just a moment and, and capture those feelings. Actually, if you have a notepad in front of you or whatever, just jot them down. What are the feelings that you personally have now as you're being thrown into the deep end of this pool? And your pool could be anything. It could be exciting. Like I remember when we were getting ready to consider buying a retail store. <laughs> it was a huge investment for our family to buy a 12,000 square foot retail store. It was a two-story building. It had um, 12 departments. It was just this gigantic undertaking. And I remember calling one of my prayer partner friends and I said, pray for me because I feel like I just got a cancer diagnosis. So why would I feel like I had a cancer diagnosis when I was just going into a very exciting season of life? 
because honestly, it was so overwhelming to me that it, to add that to what I was already doing just seemed absolutely impossible. Like how could I possibly continue doing what I was doing and add this whole other business to my life? It felt really terrible, It felt, even though it was exciting. So some of you are thinking about writing a book or maybe you're thinking of launching a media campaign. Maybe you're wanting to host your own conference. Maybe you've just gotten a terrible prognosis from the doctor. Maybe you're just expecting your fifth child. <laughs> Whatever it is, it could be exciting. It could be sad. I just lost my mom. It could be just a period of grief, whatever it is. You're facing something that makes you feel like you're in the deep end of a pool over your head. And what does that feel like to you? Because that's important. It's important for you to recognize what that feels like to you as we go forward now through this training together so that you can understand what God wants to do for you here. <laughs> I love this picture, dad and baby. So basically, when we feel like we get thrown into the deep end of the pool, we feel like God or life throws us in, leaves us thrashing about, and it's up to us to learn how to dog paddle, swim to the side, and crawl out if we can. Or maybe we can even delight in God enough to let him teach us how to swim laps and then maybe even teach others how to survive in a deep end situation like we've just been through. The reality of the situation is that he's throwing us in the deep end of the pool, but he's right there to catch us. It's still all about God. And this is the first perspective transformation that's going to change everything for you in deep end situations. See, what happens is when we're not in a deep end, we're able to do life by ourselves. You know, we think we can. We just get up and we do the day and we need God, but, you know, not like when we're in the deep end of the pool. <laughs> when we're in the deep end of the pool and we're drowning, then we realize how far over our head we are and we aren't used to living there. It's a whole different place to live. And so it feels really bad. It feels awful because we feel very out of control and we are, which is exactly what God wanted us to experience right now in this moment is feeling out of control so we can rest in him. But because we're not used to that, we continually take it back and try to own it ourselves and try to solve it ourselves and fix it ourselves. And that's, we do that because that's how God created our brain. Habits are what make up like 99% of what we do is habit driven. And so when we get in a situation where we're flailing about not knowing what to do, needing to trust in God more than we ever have before, still that 99% of our habit driven self is fighting against that trusting thing. <laughs> so that's actually what this whole training is about to help you how, understand how to rest into the amazing grace that God has for you here in the deep end of the pool. And by the end of this program, I hope that you will join me in recognizing that this is really what God intends the end of the pool to be for us. Sure, it's a little out of our comfort zone. Little baby here is not used to floating. But the reality is baby is completely safe. <laughs> Dad is having fun teaching baby something brand new. Baby's experiencing something that baby has never experienced before. My friend, this is exactly where you are right now. And this is your Heavenly Father saying to you, come with me. Come with me into the deep waters. Let's have fun. I want to show you something new. And even though, and we're going to talk about this later, even though this feels really terrible, I actually want you to fully trust me here, which is so far beyond our natural capacity, right? But God wants to help us do that. The next thing I want to talk to you about is stress, because whenever we get thrown into the deep end of a pool, immediately we have a stress response. We cannot help it back again to the reality that this is our brain. Our brain was built to help us deal with life. And so when we have a negative stress response, a bad stress response, um, this, me, this is like we get thrown into the deep end of the pool and we're pretty sure we're going to drown. Well, what happens now is that um, it, our blood flow is restricted. Uh, it results in respiratory difficulties. It creates acid in the digestive system and it can lead to ulcers. It affects muscles function and more. This is what we happens when we experience stress without God. And when I say without God, I'm just saying whatever part of your brain you're doing this deep end of the pool thing without God's presence flowing freely there, you're going to experience bad stress. In the parts of this deep end of the pool situation that you've just been thrown into where God can be in control, even of your subconscious mind, you are going to experience good stress. 
The good stress is going to regulate your blood flow. It's going to increase oxygen to the brain and muscles, and it's going to improve your heart health. This is actually what God wants to have happen for us when we're in stressful situations. He wants us to turn right immediately to him and let him give us this incredible good stress response that our body's capable of doing only when it's at peace. Okay. So this is, this is where our goal is, is to get into peace with God. And that's got to happen on a moment by moment basis. So there's a bit of a challenge. I want you to do this little exercise with me. If you're driving, obviously can't, but if you're doing anything else, just pause for a moment, sit and lift your right foot, uh, um, left. It's a lift your right foot, lift your right foot, make clockwise circles right now. So everybody just lift your right foot and start making clockwise circles with your right leg. Okay, your, your little half of your right leg down there, your knee to your ankle is making clockwise circles. Now, grab your left hand up in the air and draw the number six. And when you do this, um, notice what happens to your foot. What is your foot now drawing? Which kind of circle? <laughs> okay, your foot automatically changed. Why? Because it is an auto function of your brain. You didn't do that on purpose. Your brain did that subconsciously. It just automatically did that. So when you literally, as a child who doesn't know how to swim or an adult who doesn't know how to swim, when you get thrown into the deep end of a pool and you do not know how to swim, what do you automatically do? You automatically do some things. So this is so interesting. When you're drowning, when you feel like you're drowning, this is what happens. Your face, the shore the body automatically turns. If it can see a shore in any direction, it's going to face the shore. If you can't see a shore, it may face the boat. Whatever, your body automatically will turn itself until it's facing shore. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? The mouth will remain at water level. So the mouth is going to find its way to the top. It's going to keep finding its way to the top. The head is going to tilt back. This is the auto response of someone who feels like they're drowning. The body is going to stay vertical. You're not going to automatically go into the floating position. You're just not. You don't have enough peace. You can't do that. And your arms and legs are going to move like a climbing ladder. Now, this is what happens to everyone who's drowning. This is the auto response of a drowning person. Isn't that interesting? Who knew that we actually had an auto response, right? But we do. So what happens is the brain kicks in, says you're drowning or I'm drowning. I'm going to help you by helping you have the best chance of surviving this. When we are in a, an emotionally drowning scenario where we're not really in water, this happens to us as well. We face the shore. So where is your shore? If you have grown up being very dependent on yourself versus God for what you need, if most of the time you're looking to yourself for what you need, your shore is going to be internal. Your shore is going to be looking to you. As you grow more and more in love with Jesus, as you grow more and more in faith with Jesus and God, what happens is that you grow more and more attuned to the fact that he is your shore that he is your North star, that he is the focal point that you have in your life. And when you are drowning, when you feel like drowning right away, you turn toward Jesus. Now, what happens is if you're not used to doing that all the time, then in this drowning scenario, you actually don't turn to Jesus. You turn to yourself. You're, you, have to, you have to figure out how to make this work. You have to save yourself. Or maybe you turn to the person you always turn to. Maybe it's your spouse. Or maybe it's someone else who's possibly even a little bit of a codependent relationship with you, but you're always looking to them to get you out of trouble. Well, now when you're in this trouble, guess who you're looking to? You're looking to whoever is your shoreline. So the goal is to have God become our shoreline so that when we get into these drowning situations, we immediately turn back to God. Isn't that beautiful? I just love it. I love that the mouth and the head are tilted up. And that the body remains vertical and the arms and legs do a climbing ladder motion. Now, this rather, if you were to look at this picture, this rather looks like someone who is obviously in this picture drowning. But now if I'm, if I'm praising God, I am looking up. My chin is up. My head is back. A lot of times my arms are in the air. I'm looking up, I'm drowning, but I'm looking up. 
This is also the position we have when we ask a father to pick us up, right? You look at a small child who's excited to go into the arms of daddy. This is the position, right? So we have this going on here subconsciously where as we grow closer to Jesus, this is going to happen automatically. For now, if it hasn't ha happening automatically for you, then you'll have to work harder to turn your direction, to turn your focus to Jesus because he's your shore. And then you're going to start feeling some relief right away. Focal. So what I want you to do is a little, a little exercise with me. And I want you to imagine, so put your hands in front of you. And I want you to imagine right now that you have a newspaper in front of you. So take your hands out like this and make them into a newspaper. And what we want to do is we want to completely cover up our perspective, except all we can see in front of us is just our hands, right? So when we are looking like this, all we see is what, what we've got in front of us. Whatever this new big scary thing is, that's all you can see. It's big, it's scary, it's horrifying, it's terrible, it's awful, it's bad. But as we fold our hands together, now fold your hands together with me. As we fold our hands together, then we're able to actually see Jesus and see that he's still here with us. And sure, we've got this something, whatever it is, with us here in this situation. But really, it's not the focal point anymore. It went from being all-consuming to being part of who we are, part of where we are, part of what we're going through. In order to actually accomplish this when you're in the deep end of the pool, you have to believe that God is good and that he brought you here for a reason. So this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Hebrews 11, 6 says, For without faith, it is impossible to please God. In order to please God, you must believe he exists and is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Wow. So I want you to especially focus on this middle part. In order to please God, you must believe he exists. Okay, that's a great start. And pretty much, you know, I think it's still well over 70% of Americans believe God exists. Okay, so great. So everybody's in, in on the first half there. But you also must believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So when we're in the deep end of the pool and we felt like a big, mean God threw us there and is leaving us there by ourselves to figure out how to sink or swim, this is not what the second half of this verse says. It says, in order to please God, you got to believe he exists. Yep. But he isn't just the one who throws you in the deep end. He actually is in the deep end with you. He wants to carry you here through the deep end and to delight in the deep end, which I know some of you are like, no, it will be impossible for me to actually find any joy in this situation. But that's not biblical. The joy of the Lord is your strength. If you have no joy, you have no strength. No wonder you feel like you can't possibly survive this. You have no joy. You have no strength. How do you get joy? You get joy by believing again, by believing the truth that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Isn't that amazing? So I want to just take you through real quick four methods and three ways of how God heals because all of us want instantaneous relief from the pain that we're feeling when we get thrown into the deep end. So the first method of healing is self-directed. That's where I maybe get the runs and I go on the Brad diet and guess what? Turns around and I'm fine. Doctor driven. Doctor driven is when I break my arm, I go to the doctor, he sets it, he puts it in a cast and guess what? It gets better. Sleep induced. Now this one here is referring to the Bible sleep induced, which is he heaven. Basically you're healed because you go to heaven. It, it's just the outcome that God had intended. It's your time to go home. And the fourth one is miraculous. And this is the one we all want whenever we have any pain of any kind, whether we're being thrown into the deep end about something good, we don't like the feeling, or whether we just are dying of something, we want to be healed. Uh, we want the miraculous kind, but it's only one of the four kinds that God uses in the Bible. Then we have the three ways that God heals. So first is instant and complete. And of course, like miraculous, this is the one we all want. We all just want God to come and swoop in and take away all of our pain right now so we can have a perfect life and look very good and be very pharisaical about the whole thing. But that's not God's plan usually, although sometimes he does. The second way is gradual. This one is, well, and you know, we've got these guys in the in the Bible that Jesus is healing. And there's, there's examples of all three of these ways with blind men. Um, first was, you know, Jesus just says, be healed. And the guy was healed and he walks away. 
Another one was gradual where Jesus put some uh, spit and some clay and he puts it on his eyes and he says how you uh, and takes it off. And he says, how are you seeing now? And the guy's like, oh, I can see. But it's like people are like trees moving about. And Jesus like, oh, not quite done. So then he finishes up. That's interesting, huh? That Jesus needed more time than just instant and complete on that one. And then the other one is healing, requiring personal action, maybe going to the doctor or whatever. There was a blind man that Jesus said um, he, he, he did something with him. And then he said, now it's your job to go and wash in the pool over there. As soon as you do that, you'll be able to see. So we see that God responds in many different ways. It's not always the same way that he's responding. And we just have to rest in that. But what happens is because we feel like we're blindfolded, it's terrifying. It is so, so terrifying. <laughs> and so it's hard for us to relax into this, right? So I love the analogy of the game show. So let's say that you are invited to be on a game show and you were the participant and it's your turn and you were taken out onto the stage in front of all this huge audience. You've never done this before and you don't know what's going to happen. And they've blindfolded you. So you're, you know, you're walking tentatively out to the middle of the stage and you're, you know, everything is so, you're shaking. You're so scared and nervous. You don't have a clue what's going to happen now. But what they tell you is over on one side of you, there's a pile of $100 bills. And on the other side of you, there's a pile of dollar bills. But they aren't going to tell you which is on which side of you. So how does that make you feel? You're blindfolded. You're in the middle of a stage in front of a lot of people. They're giving you a basket. And they say, whatever you can get in your basket in one minute and 60 seconds, you get to keep. So what do all of us want to do, right? Well, if we have any brains at all, we want to go to the $100 pile and get all the $100 bills and stick them in our basket just as fast as we possibly can so that we can take home as much money as we possibly can, right? Okay, that's what we all want to do. But the reality is in this situation, you are blindfolded. Don't know which side of the platform or of the stage the hundreds are on or the ones are on. So the best you can do in this situation is you can split the difference. You can kind of go in your head, you know, what will be about halfway through? What will be about 30 seconds or so? And you're going to start on one side and you're going to just scoop up as much of those dollar bills as you can uh, in the first 30 seconds. Then you're going to run to the other side of the stage and scoop up as many of those dollar bills as you can. And at the end, you're going to have about half and half, right? So the other thing you can do is you could just go over and kneel at one pile and just get it all. But the problem is you might be at the wrong pile. When we find ourselves in the deep end of the pool, this is often our situation. We simply don't know what to focus on. And it's a terrible place to be. So by auto default, what we do is we do it wrong, actually, because as long, I mean, if you came into it feeling the peace of God, you wouldn't do it wrong because your subconscious would allow you to just focus directly on Christ from the first moment. But the reality is that our subconscious it will usually typically react to a situation, a deep end situation with fear and fear responses are never from God in that situation. So there are, there are the kind of fear that are good. Cautionary fear is good and fear of God is good, but fear that's debilitating is not good. So I want you to ask yourself a question right now. Just if you can, just shut your eyes and ask yourself this question. Am I okay in this moment or am I actually in serious physical danger right now? Am I in danger at this moment? Am I in danger? Okay, I'm just going to say that if you have the ability to watch this webinar right now, the answer is probably no. You're probably not immediate danger but something inside of you is stirring so hard that you think you are and so what happens when I was when I was in fourth grade a, a professional race car driver came to my school and did a talk and I remember it really vividly and it's just always stuck with me this lesson and I hope you can grasp it today too so when these guys are driving they're going super fast over 200 miles an hour and they're tightly clumped in usually with other cars and um, any little mistake, anything wrong with their vehicle is going to make them spin out. So what happened to this driver is at one point his car began to skid. And so he did what all of us do. We, he looked at the wall that was coming at him. So his car was beginning to skid toward the wall and he looked at the wall. 
And so there was an accident because he hit the wall. And what he told us and what has always stuck with me and what I want you to internalize today is that when you look at the thing you're afraid of, it intensifies the gravitational pull toward that thing. I go way into this in a different training in the success principles intensive training because this is so huge and important to you, for you to internalize. But right now, if you can just remember this one analogy, it will make a difference for you. Anytime you find yourself focusing your heart, your direction, your emotions, your eyes, your thoughts, whatever it is on where you don't want to go, where you don't want to be, how you don't want to feel, that is actually pulling you directly toward that thing which is why it's just so important for us to keep our eyes on Jesus. He explained to us that what he should have done is he should have looked at where he wanted his car to go. He should have focused not on where he was afraid he would go, but on where he wanted his car to go. It is the same with us. We have a vibrational um, a response going on inside of us at all times. We resonate at a certain, a certain level, at a certain um, pitch, actually. So the best analogies for this is, is seeds that we plant in the ground. When we plant a corn seed, a corn kernel in the ground, it's going to become a corn plant and it's going to produce corn. Just as how it is. It's not going to just all of a sudden become a rose or an evergreen. It's going to become what it is because when it's planted in the ground, it begins to resonate, to vibrate at that exact level as a corn kernel should. It can't resonate like anything else because it isn't something else. Okay, well, we have brains and we have these wonderful brains in our heads that God gave us. And the reality is that it's very difficult for us to stay in resonance with God because our default is against God. So we came into the world with a mind that knew there was a God that longed for a God and was searching for a God, but didn't have that God because of Adam and Eve in the garden. And this is all clearly explained in the Bible, but because of what Adam and Eve chose in the garden, they chose it for all of mankind. And so we come into the world knowing we need a God, but not, not having one. And so by default, we ha have no God. So however long it was until you came to recognize that you needed a God and that God was God and Jesus came and died for our sins. And it is through him that we can get to this relationship with this perfect, holy God, because we're not perfect and holy. We have to come through Jesus. So whenever it was that you realized that you had years and years and years and years and years, even for me, just four years, but four formative years of doing everything without God. So it was all about me, all about mine, all about me do it my way. And that is still what we're overcoming here. So we get thrown in the deep end of the pool and we revert to fearful, godless thinking. That's really what's happening here. But if we are a Christian, if Christ really dwells in us, we have this opportunity actually to rest into the resonance with God. And as, this, as soon as, and as often as, and as fully as we are able to truly believe that God was not just the bad dad who threw us in the pool, but he was the good dad who threw us in the pool and was there to catch us, the sooner that we can relieve some of the stress, the negative stress that's happening here, move into positive stress, which is still stress. It's still stress, but it isn't the, it isn't the harmful kind of stress that's going to actually hurt you or hurt your heart or make you hurt other people, <laughs> which is also what happens when we're in deep despair and stress. So what I wanna do now is I wanna introduce to you the five or six rather antidepressant questions. And these are gonna be in uh, the PowerPoint that you can download afterwards. So you don't need to take notes right now, but why don't you just pause right now and ask yourself the questions. This is where I go. I go to these questions when I'm really, I'm, 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 I'm really down. It's like, I can't, I'm down and I can't get up. <laughs> that way. And I've already just said Jesus a lot of times. And I, I've just been in my Bible and I just still can't quite get it together. Uh, I can't find joy. I just don't know where it went and I can't find it. And these are the questions I asked. So the first one is, is my focus on my situation? Now, when you're drowning, 
when you feel like you're drowning and you're in the deep end of the pool and you don't know how to swim and this just seems completely over your head out of your ballpark out of your comfort zone just completely unbelievable that you can even find yourself here and you don't know how to think about it and you've never been here before and you don't know what to do next and you don't know what how to how to be at peace you've tried you just don't know how this is the first question to ask what are you focusing on are you focusing on your situation or are you focusing on jesus <laughs> So when my babies were coming, which is a long time ago now, um, uh, they taught me Lamaze, Lamaze breathing. And I know it's not really the Vogue thing anymore, but honestly, it was hugely, hugely powerful. I went through three very long pregnancies. My longest was 23 hours and my shortest was nine hours, but had Pitocin, which at that time was a little harsher than it is now. And um, I didn't have any kind of drugs to, for pain with any of them, and they were all very painful. I used focusing my attention. I would focus off of the pain onto something very beautiful. I would do deep breathing and I would proceed through the contractions like that. This is a biblical principle, you guys. If we focus on our pain, it is more painful. It does not have to be that painful. Could I still feel the tractions, contractions? Obviously, yes, I could still feel the contractions, but there was no comparison in how hard they were. That's how it's going to be for us in the deep end. If we focus on the situation, everything we don't know, everything, how unqualified we are, why would God put us here? This can't possibly be right. You know, if we focus on all that, of course, we're going to be more traumatized than we would need to be. Focus on Jesus. Number two, is my concern about how I'll look to others or even how this will affect God's reputation? I mean, sometimes I get worried about, <clears throat> okay, for example, with this webinar, I've done how many of these? I'm going to do these and I love doing these and I always love the responses I get from these and people tell me how helpful they are. Still, when I go to do one of these, I get a little nervous about what if it doesn't work? What if the technology doesn't work today? You know, it, it happens. Technology doesn't work. What if nobody shows up? What if everybody doesn't like what I say? Blah, 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 blah. blah. Am I, am I concerned about how I'll look to others, to you? Or even am I worried that maybe I should, I'm not the one who should be doing this, that somehow I'm going to say or do something that might be embarrassing to God. Is this really what my focus is on? Because if it is, I can promise you, this is going to be a much more stressful situation for me today than if I am actually where I am, which is, okay, God, you called me to do this. I believe in you. I believe you're going to reward me for just doing the best I know how to do. And I believe that I'm walking on the tightrope of life with you and you're the nut that can catch me if I happen to fall, if I blow it, if I make a mistake, if technology doesn't work, if people aren't happy today, whatever. Um, just eyes off of the situation and onto Jesus. Eyes, eyes off of how I might look or feel or how I might experience this and eyes onto what God is going to do through this. And that's just a curiosity. I don't really know. I'm going to find out later and in heaven I'll find out fully. But for now, I just get to be curious and walk on. How about number three now? Is the reward I'm seeking immediate or eternal? So if we go back to the analogy of doing this webinar today, what is the reward I'm seeking? Well, the reward I'm just seeking is that when I go to bed tonight, I check in with God and I say, how was it with us today? Which I do pretty much every night. And he's going to say to me, either Mar Marnie, here's some things we really need to talk about right now. Or he's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. So for me right now, my only, the only reward or outcome I'm seeking is God's well done, my good and faithful servant. I'm just looking for the eternal well done. And I get to check in with him tonight about that. I encourage you that this is the way to live. Don't worry so much about the outcomes. Um, Cecil Murphy, who has written over a hundred books, many, many bestsellers. He, he learned early on. And one of his favorite mottos is about releasing the outcomes. He does his part, God does his part, and the outcome is beyond us. It's just, it's beyond our control. We can do everything we can do, then we leave the rest in the hands of God. Isn't that beautiful? I love living like this. Antidepressant question number four. Are my pronouns personal or all about God? When you're talking, when you're praying, when you're telling someone else, asking someone else to pray for you, when you're journaling, what are all your pronouns? Are they all about you or are they all about God? I'm so miserable. This is so hard for me. I just don't know what's going to happen to us. Are they all like that or are they all about God? I am so looking for you. 
where are you? Can you show me where you're at here? Who is the emphasis on? Is the emphasis on me or God? Because God is not worried right now. <laughs> Whatever you're facing, he's not worried. I, re I remember when my dad was going to be taken off of life support. This was many years ago. And it was so profoundly meaningful to me, though. I'll share it with you here. And I was terrified. I was so scared he was going to die. I was 365 miles away. I couldn't be there. I couldn't say goodbye. I couldn't do anything. I just knew that this was the day. And either he was going to live or die. And I would know within a couple of hours. I mean, it was terrible. I was pacing back and forth. I was just wringing my hands crying, God, God, my dad, God, my dad, my dad, oh, my dad. And at one point... I just saw like a picture in my head. It was just, just like a little vision. And it was of God walking back and forth in heaven, wringing his hands, so upset because he didn't know if it was going to be okay for my dad. And, you know, in that moment, I just stopped and I was like, that's wrong. No, that's me. That's what I'm doing. You're not doing that. And it was just this moment of awareness that if I would just Ephesians 2, 4 says that we can be, we are seated in the heavenlies with Christ right now. If I just go be with God, he is not frantic about what's making me frantic right now. The only reason I am frantic about it is because I'm excluding him from this thought. That's the only reason I'm frantic right now. As soon as I include him as the core value of this thought, peace comes to a wild raging sea. It's amazing. Antidepressant question number five. Am I looking at what is left to be done? What traumas potentially lie ahead of me? Anytime that we look too far out in the future, we are going to be overcome <laughs> with depression. <laughs> There's a reason the Bible says that God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. I think of a little lamp and how much light it doesn't give, only just barely what's ahead of you. Even a flashlight, how much light it doesn't give. Even a street light, if you think about it, or your headlights on your car. You can't see very far ahead. If it's a dark place, like the deep end of a pool, honestly, if you try to solve it out way ahead, you're going to be miserable. It's just a really great way to lose your peace. Just learn that God has got you. I mean, he's the dad who's in the pool with you. He's going to take care of you. He is such a good dad. He's such a good dad. Okay. Antidepressant question number six. Is my concern based on circumstantial evidence or on godly truth? So all you have to do is spend a little bit of time in the Bible to recognize that all kinds of bad things happen to godly people, all kinds of bad things. In fact, I can't think of really a story where at least something bad didn't happen to somebody. <laughs> Maybe there is one, but I can't think of any. Usually the stories in the Bible, something really bad happened to somebody. They had faith in God and the outcome is what we remember. And so I just encourage you that if you um, are concerned about your circumstantial evidence, of what is going to terrible, terrible, terrible happen to you. <laughs> it's going to drive you crazy. What's the godly truth? I will never leave you or forsake you. I will harden you to difficulties. I will come and save you. Uh, th those are godly truths. So when we think about success from God's perspective, um, first of all, I love this. I think it's really fun and funny and true. What people think success looks like is a straight arrow. Just like, oh, you start here, you go there, and it's all really fast and painless. Wrong. Um, success really is a very windy road. And even when you're following God specifically, clearly, he's got people down on each of those uh, meanderings that he wants us to witness to and to share his grace with and to love on and to be his light to. So don't, you know, don't worry about if you're going straight from where he said you were going to, let's, let's say you had a dream or a vision out there. And now this new thing is taking you off of that dream or vision for a while. Don't worry. That's just part of, it's part of the journey. It's okay. God's got you. And I like God's definition of success so much better than Webster's. So Webster's is the accomplishment of an aim or a purpose. So I can't be a success. Um, that first, I can't be a success really until I achieve what I'm going for. I love the analogy. So we we lived in uh, Warren, Minnesota for 35 years. And Mark and Gigi Marvin, who is, this is her uh, Twitter page picture. Um, she's a gold medal Olympian now, but they grew up together. They were born a month apart and we just lived close by. They grew up together. So anyway, she is a gold medal Olympian. Isn't that cool? And um, her whole life, she is working and tr trying and hoping to be a gold medal Olympian. And in the moment when she finally got the gold medal and the first time she got the silver, 
uh, the first time. And then the second time she got the gold. And in that moment, she was a gold medal winner. She was a success. Awesome. Up on the podium. But then afterwards, she got down off the podium and she has to start defending her title because otherwise somebody else is going to be a gold medalist next time. And she also has to live off of her title because now she has it. And she, I mean, that was a moment. It was just a moment. It's really, and she's a Christian and it's really no way to live. And she knows it. If you just live for the moment, it's just very, it's very fleeting. It's really a whole lot of being a failure, hoping to be a, a winner, being a winner, and then being a used to be a has been winner, living off of it in here. I mean, that is just no way to live. What God gives us the opportunity to do is, is live every moment for the well done, good, faithful servant. So like I mentioned earlier, when I go to bed every night, I just ask God, how is it with us tonight? And really, I'm really hoping to hear is well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what I always want to hear. And oftentimes that is what I hear. And if not, it's a gentle conviction. It's just him saying, let's talk about what happened there um, because that wasn't quite right. You know, and there's a conviction there. And then I go to sleep at peace. I'm at peace in the moment. I'm at peace for tomorrow. I'm at peace for next year. And I'm at peace for eternity. It's a beautiful way to live. So the first thing that you can do to start um, bringing God more into your every thought is to recognize that when God commanded us to pray without ceasing, he really was thinking more like um, this kind of pray without ceasing instead of the kind where you're just always saying, you know, our father, which art in heaven. Um, you can't always, always be saying the Lord's prayer or some other prayer all day long, every day. It's just not possible because you have to think about other things. So what happens with dolphins? Dolphins are water dwellers, but air breathers, right? So what happens with dolphins is that they live under the water. They literally live under the water, but they come up for air every five minutes or so. And if they fail to come up for air, they begin to suffocate. They begin to die. And so they have to, they literally have to go up for air or they're going to physically die. Well, spiritually, we are earth dwellers, but prayer breathers. Any time that we feel ourselves beginning to experience stress of any kind, good stress or bad stress, any kind of stress, that is our signal that it's time to pray. So you can just go through your life and just pray whenever you experience stress, just check in with God. How long does it take for a dolphin to go up for air? Not very long, especially they just skim under the water a lot. So it's just pop up, pop back down. I mean, it's just like that. It's, it's We call them arrow prayers. They're just arrow prayers. God help me. God help me. It's funny. I remember years ago, I would stand in front of my closet and um, I'd be like, God, really? Do you want me to like ask you to help me dress today? I just don't know what you want. <laughs> I just wanted to, I just wanted to have God be part of everything in my life, but I didn't really know like how, how particular to get that to be. So I was praying about it honestly. And I said, do you want me to have you pick my clothes? I mean, is that what you want? And the response in my spirit was not unless it stresses you out. Oh my goodness. Well, picking my clothes hardly ever stresses me out. But honestly, just last week I was going somewhere and it was a new place and with new people. And I was a little intimidated by the whole thing. And I was standing in front of my closet and it was stressing me out. I was like, I'm not sure. I don't know. And I kept taking things out and putting them back in like that. And I was like, oh, right, right. This is stressful. So I just said, God, will you help me pick what to wear? And he did. And it was the perfect thing. I'm just saying that you don't have to worry about trying to conjure up this super spiritual looking um, religiosity that just smacks of um, something not God. Instead, just treat him like he is. He's God. So he knows everything. He's great to ask questions of. And he loves you. He wants to help you. He's there for you. He is wanting to even bless you in this time and in all times. And so the more often you talk to him, the more often you engage with him as the center, I call it God-centric thinking, with him as the center of your thinking, the more peace you're going to enjoy in your life. In the Bible, King David was God's favorite king. Um, after his life, whenever God was talking about a king, he would compare him to David. He'd say, well, this was a pretty good king, but not nearly as good as my king, David, my servant. Or he'd say, this was a terrible king, nothing like King David. Now, what's amazing about that is that David was an adulterer, a murderer, a polygamist, probably not the best dad ever. I mean, he had some really serious issues going on. 
<laughs> yeah, God points back to him as his favorite one all the time. Why? So what about him made him God's favorite one? And you know what I think it is? And God gave us the longest book in the Bible, Psalms, and that's all by most of it's by David. And I think that the deal is, is that David was just excruciatingly honest with God and talked to him about every stinking thing. <laughs> lost his keys, lost his camel, lost his family, lost whatever. He just keeps going, God, for everything. And he's really honest. God, these guys are beating up on me. I want to kill them. I want to, you know, tear them limb from limb. And then at the end, he's like, but you take care of it. So it's not like, it's not like Pollyanna. It's not like saying, no problem exists. No, no, no. The problem exists. The, the emotions you're experiencing are completely real. Your big, scary new thing is real. It's scary. It's big and it's new and you don't feel equipped to do it. And you're scared. That's all real. And that's legit. And that's okay. Run it to Jesus. Be honest with Jesus. I always say Jesus is the only one that can really handle all of my junk. Other people really try and they come alongside and they really try to help me. But really, honestly, they can only help me so much and they can only handle so much. Jesus is the only one who wants it all, all of it, every nasty thought, everything that drives you crazy. There's a prayer that I learned to pray years ago that really is so helpful to me still. And I want to just teach it to you. It's how to address your stress and it's prayer of humility. So it goes like this, God, I don't have enough blank right now, but you have plenty. So please flow some of yours to and through me. <laughs> it's just this great prayer. So I learned it when I was hosting the Amel Girls Club in my home. I'd have uh, 11 to 18 year old girls come into my home up to three afternoons a week. We'd cook meals together for families in need. And uh, we did other stuff together too, but mostly it was for cooking, teaching them how to cook, teaching them how to be generous and give and share with people who had needs. It was extremely stressful at times, as you can imagine, with me and a bunch of girls in the kitchen. These are young girls who don't know how to cook yet. And we're making a meal for real people who have to eat it that night. <laughs> so it would get extremely stressful. And sometimes I would just lose my patience, just completely lose it. And so I would turn around and I would open a cupboard door or open the fridge door or whatever, just so that I could have a moment of space. And I would just say, God, I have no patience left. You have plenty of patience. I just need some of yours right now. I remember one day this was going on and I was completely stressed out. And I was like, God, I can't do this. I need some of you right now. I need some of you. And um, what happened next was hilarious. A girl dumped over a whole nine by 13 pan of dessert. I mean, the whole nine by 13 pan went upside down on the floor. And you're thinking, I think that should have been before you prayed the prayer. But honestly, it totally distracted me from my completely anxious feelings. I mean, it was like a God solution. I would have never thought of it. And I wouldn't have asked for it for sure, but I had asked for help and that's what he did. So first we had this pan dump over on the floor and then the doorbell rang. And so I left them to work on cleaning the floor up while I went to the door. When I came back, I was totally, totally in a different place emotionally. I mean, it was, I was fine. The only thing I'm going to say here is that however you're vibrating, that's how you know. <laughs> if you feel terrible, if you feel emotionally, spiritually terrible, then you have to go up for air because God doesn't feel terrible right now. He's in heaven. He's in the place where it says there are no tears, there's no sadness, there's no goodbyes. So if you're feeling like doing any of those things, if you're feeling like being really sad or crying, if you're feeling just awful, this is not how God is feeling. So go get with God and get in vibration with him. I always say that I'd be way more faithful if it didn't feel so irresponsible. My example of this is after my father died. Um, I just lost my mom now, March 12th. And I, I just have to tell you that because I experienced it with my father, it's much easier to be here with my mom, but it's still weird. I am at so much peace and I have been. Do I miss her? Yes. Am I sad that she's gone? I'm sad for me. Yes. Am I grieving like I so should really grieve? No, I'm not. And with my dad, my, my dad and I were especially close. I mean, he was, I was, I was daddy's girl and he was the best dad ever. 
And it even makes me kind of want to cry right now when I think about that because it makes me so grateful and so happy that I could have a dad like that. And he died instantly. We came out. I had a message on my machine. The message said, I dialed in and the message said, Marnie, your dad is dead. Click. And that was it. And he had been fine. He had just been up. He was working in the store with us the whole week before. He was fine. We had talked to him that morning. We were going to go have supper with him that night. And all of a sudden he was dead. And I was so in shock. And I was just like, how do I even process this? We're walking across the parking lot to the car to go over to their home, mom and dad's house. And I'm just doing what I always do in a situation like that. When my resonance is off, I just go, Jesus, 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 Jesus. <laughs> and I was just saying the name of Jesus over and over and over and over, just grasping for any kind of breath, any kind of air to breathe. And we almost to the van and I stopped dead and I said to Dave, Dave, if it is true that my father's dead, well, then God gave him exactly what he'd asked for. It was this amazing instantaneous release of so much anxiety and so much grief and sadness. And it was this just place where I could just position myself in the comfort of God and go, well, God, you didn't give me what I wanted, but you gave my dad exactly what he wanted. So I'm going to choose to celebrate that. I'm going to celebrate that. And even though, do I not still miss him today? 12 years later, yes, I still really miss him today. <laughs> and I wish a lot of times that he was here with me because he was really a great dad. But am I happy for him? Oh my goodness, yes. And I just leapfrogged all kinds of steps of grief in that situation. Does God always do that? No. He doesn't always do that. Even if you're walking very closely with him, even if you're resonating with him, he may take you through a terrible season of long, uh, long grief. I mean, in the Bible, we see it. We see it. So it's not just about doing this all perfectly and getting it all perfect. I'm just sharing with you some examples of these things that I'm sharing with you here to help you. Like I showed you the seven ways that God heals. I mean, it, he doesn't promise that if you do it this way, there's no pain. But I am going to tell you one thing. That if you're walking with Jesus, sometimes you're going to look really irresponsible. Sometimes you, sometimes you actually look to other people like you are um, putting your head in the sand or you're being a Pollyanna or you're just not taking it seriously. But the reality is, is that you don't have to take it more seriously than God asks you to take it. <laughs> and there's a whole lot of difference between that and what somebody else defines as responsible for me. So at the loss of my father and at the loss of my mother, I've experienced tremendous peace and joy and freedom from intense, intensely grievous feelings. And there's a verse in the Bible that talks about it. Don't grieve like the world grieves. Well, I don't because I know where they are. They're both perfectly happy. They're super happy, happier than they ever could be here. And I know that I'm fine because my heavenly father is with me and he's taking care of everything that they no longer can provide for me. So I don't need to be sad. And for some reason, I don't have to be sad. So I'm not. Does that mean I rub it in other people's faces? You know, if they're sad, absolutely not. It's just a gift that I've been given and I wouldn't trade it for the world. But honestly, this is just one example. We would be way more faithful. You will find that you will be way more faithful once you get over the reality that it feels really irresponsible. Uh, we're coming up to the end here. I want to just cover a couple other things. Lord changed me. So remember that your brain is this amazing, amazing um, uh, thing that is, you know, your, your subconscious brain is, is computing at, at like 20 million. They're saying into the billions now, they think, per second. A stimuli per second at consciously about 40 stimuli per second so we think that everything we're doing out here is the whole thing not even touching it it's all underneath the ground and so what we need to do is we need to just know that when we're struggling up above at the top of the iceberg here um we have to if we're resonating wrong we have to know that something's rumbling underneath and we need to go with jesus and figure that out get it figured out i like to use the example of the sky cam um the traffic helicopter pilot so uh, a lot of people say, don't pray for patience because then God's really going to zap you. But that is the bad dad 
theology. And I, I really have a problem with bad dad teaching because God is not a bad dad. He is the most amazing dad. And I had a really great dad. And one day I was convicted because I was comparing my dad to God. And I'm like, why wouldn't you like that? He's a great dad. And he's like, no, he doesn't even compare. He's not even close to me, Marnie. I'm way better than your dad. So those of you who had a bad dad, uh, don't compare God to your dad. Compare God to the most amazing dad you could imagine. To the combination of all the good dads you've ever seen, that's God except on steroids. So God is kind of like, to me, he's kind of like my traffic helicopter, my sky cam. And so as I'm going through life, I'm just driving along, driving along, having a good day. And all of a sudden the sky cam comes across and says, there is a, um, a block up. And now, you know, we use nav or whatever, whatever you're using, they, they have to find out somehow. So uh, there's a blockage coming up on the freeway, get off at this exit and you can go around. Well, now that'd be like, kind of like saying, pray for patience because up ahead, you're going to have a slowdown. Is it mean or is it helpful? It's actually really helpful <laughs> if you if you run it back to God. So he's the one that's giving you the input. He's the one he wants you to run to for the help. It's all him. So I like to think of Colossians 3.15 as my uh, peace barometer. So a barometer just tells you if the pressure is high or if the pressure is low. <laughs> if the pressure is high, we've got nice sunshiny day. If the pressure is low, we are going to have some storms. So um, what what it says in Colossians 3.15 in the Amplified Version, and you can see in my Bible, I've got it all starred up and everything. It says, let the peace, the soul harmony, which comes from Christ's rule or act as umpire continually in your hearts, deciding and settling with finality all questions that arise in your minds in that peaceful state to which as members of Christ's one body, you were called to live and be thankful, be appreciative, giving thanks to God always. I love that verse that that's the key. So what I'd like to do now is I'd like to encourage you to go over to Marnie.com as we're just going to be done here in a couple minutes, but I, over there, you can download the free perspective transformation worksheet. If you want to just hang with me for a minute here, I'll explain how to use it. And then after that, you can go over there and get your own and try it. It's really cool. This is what I use when I'm really sunk down and I've claimed the name of Jesus and I've been in my Bible and I've been praying and I still can't seem to get any peace. I come to this transformation worksheet. And on the left side, I just write down what I need or what I want or what I'm dreaming of or what I feel like God isn't answering me. I write it down on the left side and then I just leave the right side clear. But in the middle, I actually go ahead and I circle what would happen if God answered me, yes, right now. And on the right side, I circle what would happen if he decides to answer me later or no. And there's letters there. And the letters stand for things that you can see at the key at the bottom. The letters stand for things like um, it would increase my generosity. It would increase my contentment. It would increase my diligence. It would increase my faithfulness, my goodness, humility, kindness, joy, knowledge, love, gentleness, peace, self-control, patience, purity, forgiveness, wisdom, or honesty. And what I have found as I've done this over the years, as I found that most of the time, it's like a, you know, it's not always 50-50, but it's a pretty even split. Sometimes that's, you know, 20-80, but still there's good that can come. If he says later, no, there's still good that can come. So I have just learned that when I'm getting thrown into the deep end, God has allowed this to happen. And when I'm thrown in, he is sitting there waiting to catch me to go through this with me. So I have a lot of peace almost right away. And I'm not saying that I never lose my peace because I do too. And I forget. And I'm still you know, overcoming the habitual response to ignore God and do it on my own. But the reality is that when we, um, when we choose to do it with him, he loves to do it with us. Well, this concludes our training. We are almost out of time here too. I want to just let you know the next thing that's coming actually starting right away is produce and promote like a pro. These are God-centric master clinics. If you've got a new project, especially if you are thinking of writing a new book, um, doing a new speaking podcast or blog series, um, hosting a new conference, or anything along those lines at all, anything that um, I work with, um, it's complete Christian communicators, which are Christian communicators who do more than one thing. You have a radio show, plus you write a book, or you write a book, plus you speak, or you write a blog, plus you speak, or you know, just whatever combination. You're a women's ministry leader, plus you plus you um, host uh, conferences, whatever it is. That's who I usually work for. We've got some great training coming up with that. Build a firm foundation for phenomenal results is the first one. Crush it concept development system. This is really how to get a lot done fast with excellence. Um, the third one is personalized pitch 
perfect marketing plan. This one is going to be, it's going to save you so much time and hassle because it's just how to do a marketing marketing plan that's going to work and that works for you, which is the most important thing. And then the ultimate optimization workshop is how to tie it all together. This concludes our program. Once again, if you go over to marnie.com forward slash OMH, which stands for over my head, you will find the PowerPoint download, the worksheet downloads and the um, actual and the actual download of what I've been sharing here today in the webinar. Thank you so much for joining us today. This has been just a blast and I'm so glad that you are here um, with us and hopefully I can't see myself, but hopefully you can still see me. If you can't, that's okay because we're just about done. So I'm just going to thank you for being here. God bless you and um, I'll see you over at Marnie.com. Okay, bye-bye. Have a great day now. Bye.